0: Good morning, everybody. Let me catch my breath here. <laughs> uh, I have the great privilege of taking up the table this morning, so thank you for listening to me as I do that. Um, I want to start in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 16, for those of you that want to follow along in your, in your Bibles. Um, this was a letter from for Paul to Corinthians. And in verse 16, he says, The cup of blessing which we bless Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So think of it like this. The king of heaven and earth has prepared a feast in honor of his son. Table's been prepared, and the son has taken his place at the head of the table, and and you and I have been invited to sit there and take fellowship. And we look around the table and we see, you know, each other, men, women, boys, girls, everybody, we're all here by invitation and all of us loved by God. So, um, can you imagine what that would be like? You know, asked to eat with God. Um, if, if it were actually here in you know physical form, we would definitely prepare ourselves for the occasion, right? You know, um, I might even wear something other than a black polo shirt. Just, that'd be, I know, I know. Maybe. No, definitely. Definitely. We would, all, we would all wear our best and be on our best behavior. Um, so, and that's what this table is. God has prepared this feast in honor of his son and the Lord's supper is symbolic of that feast. Um, and the, the verse that I just read I think is important for a couple of reasons. First, if i'm not mistaken and some of our bible scholars maybe can tell me otherwise but i believe it's the only place in god's word where the word communion is used and that and it's and that word has lasted all this time up until today we still use it very commonly but you know secondly what does that word communion actually mean why is it used there well you know the, in the the greek text uh, the word as a uh, Koinonia is the Greek. But but it means but it means it means partnership, fellowship, and participation. So the joining of two or more into one. And that's why I think as we go on to verse 17, we'll see Paul continues to say, For we being many are one bread and one body. We are all partakers um, of that one bread. Behold Israel After the flesh, are they not which eat of the sacrifices as partakers of the altar? So, you know, uh, what Paul was trying to say is that we're we're coming to this table to join what it represents. We come to be one and and partake. Um, We are many, are one bread. Jesus is the bread of life, and it's with him that we commune in this communion. And we become, you know, one with one another and one with him. So, you know, if you look back at the early church, you know, the Lord's Supper was kind of a, it was a new thing for, you know, for Christians and people, you know, for, for Christians. But the idea of eating and drinking in his presence was not. If we look back at all the way back to Exodus, uh, chapter 24, <laughs> verses 9 through 11... So this is when the people of Israel were camped before Mount Sinai. And just after God had given them the Ten Commandments, God called the leaders of Israel up to the mountain to meet with them. And it says, Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet as it were a paved work of sapphire stone and as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand, also they saw God and did eat and drink. So, you know, the, the, the main thing is to, to take away from that is that God invited these men into his presence and they dined with him. So it's sort of paving the way at a very early part of the Bible to talk about what it means to actually, you know, be one with, you know, be one with God and dine with God. So we move on into Deuteronomy 14, uh, verse 22 and 23. Uh, thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, that the field uh, bringeth forth year by year, and thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, and tithe thy corn of thy wine and thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds and flocks. And thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And thou shalt bestow the money that for whatever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, for sheep, for wine, or whatever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice in thine household. So again, uh, there's, I know there's a lot there, but the point is that God's people were commanded to come into his presence, wherever that might be, and eat and drink before him. So, um, and, you know, it's, you know, I think when God uh, shows us this picture of communion, it shows us what he desires for us to do, I think is sort of the takeaway from that. Um, and so as we look, we look back to the past, so all the way through the Bible, God is sort of commanding us to eat with him, and then all the way into the future, So, if we look all the way at the other end of the Bible, in Revelation, chapter 19, verse nine, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, you know, from, from, from one end of the Bible to the other, God's aim has been to bring his people into fellowship with himself into communion and I think one of the great joys of this experience is the fact that we can eat and drink in the presence of the Lord. Um, And I think when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're not just drinking from a little cup and eating this wafer of bread and thinking reflective thoughts about Jesus. He's here. He is here with us and we're in the presence of the King. And we should think of it as, as, as such um, and, and take it for what it really, the, the importance that it really is. So I would ask if the men could come forward, please, as I read from the gospel. So a couple of things to remember um, about, about this table. Um, it's that God deserves the honor of this. We need to examine ourselves. Why are we here at the Lord's table? Why have we come? Are we in the right frame of mind? Are our attitudes right? Are our motives right? Have we really taken on Christ as your savior and trusted that? Are we living in obedience to what God's teachings are? Um, and is Christ in you? You know, I say I ask you today to consider this as you're, as you're partaking of this table. What does God see when he looks at you? You know, does he look upon you as one of his children? Is he pleased with what he sees? Is he happy with what is in your heart? No matter if you and all the world are satisfied with your life, the question is, is God? So examine yourself, because that, that's what this time is for. So I'm going to read from uh, Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 26 through 29. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it. And broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body and he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying drink ye all of it for this is my blood of the new testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins and uh i'm gonna ask bill if you've got a chance if you can come and say a blessing over this table for us thank you
1: father as we come around
2: Perfect. Who
3: I am. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see some new faces, and it's good to see some faces I've seen before. <laughs> Catch myself there. Uh, so uh, I've been uh, asked to pray for a certain football. Tonight, tonight. By, by, I'm not going to name any names, but see, uh, that, that's going to be a problem. Because um, see, uh, tonight I get to enjoy this game tonight uh, for personal stats, because I have several bulldogs in this hunt, so I'll be rooting for, for them. So, I'm going to kick right into things here. There's a lot that I want to share this morning. Grace... And peace to y'all in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm picking back up where last year before Advent, for those of y'all who are here, I was on a series called Crucified with Christ. We had a series before that where we went into Acts to follow the events that happened with early church after the resurrection of Jesus and then we get over into Acts and we're starting to pick up now with Paul and what's happened to him and what's going on with him. So the uh, series called Crucified with Christ, our text today is going to be Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. And the sermon title of this morning is going to be The Constitution of Christian Liberty. After Acts chapter 15, or right around Acts chapter 15, chapter 16, uh, scholars believe that Paul. this is when Paul writes his letter to the church in Galatia. There's many reasons why this letter is so loved by Christians. Is because over and over again, this letter pumps like a heart. Verse after verse after verse, one point. Now see, for those of y'all who are are in school or who remember school, sometimes you had to read a book or something and you had to come up with many different points. They always had kind of a theme, but there was this point and this point and this point. Uh, This book you got to love because it's just the same point over and over and over again. And it doesn't give you really the ability to try to figure out or put into your own thoughts what the book is actually saying because it is jumping up out of the page and, 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 and screaming this one point over and over again. What is that one point? That one point is this. That the death of Christ saves. That the death of Christ saves. To deny it is to deny the gospel. The one way, one way rescue by Christ and to condemn yourself. And to add to it something is to deny it. The death of Christ saves. Now, before we jump into the text to kind of see what's going on, what Paul's writing about, it's important to have a little background information of why he's writing this letter. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but if you read a book and if you jump into the middle of it, you can might eventually kind of figure out what's going on, but if you don't have all what, the knowledge of what's happened before it, sometimes it can be a little difficult. You may not be picking up exactly what the story is telling. A lot of times when I'm reading books, I kind of skip the introduction and just read right into it, and then I'll find out four chapters later. I was like, well, I probably want to go back and read the introduction just in case. It's there for a reason, so I'm going to introduce the letter to the Galatians to you all this more as best I can, the occasion for why Paul wrote it, and the purpose of why Paul wrote it. So the occasion. Paul, when he first started his ministry, took the Galatians and planted uh, the gospel of the righteousness of faith to the Galatians. After Paul left, some false teachers went into the church in Galatia to contradict and subvert what Paul had taught. See, the devil's objective... It's a lot different than how I think it may be sometimes. Sometimes I think it's him to, you know, attack me in, you know, things of this world. And it might be. But see, the devil, his, his one major objective is to fight, silence, erase, and corrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ. If he can do that by taking things from you, he'll do it. If he can do that by giving things to you or, or paving the way or whatever, he'll do it. Whatever he has to do, to to corrupt the gospel going into your earballs he's going to do it he's going to try to do it let's not forget he's on a leash i mean but he that's going to be his main objective is to corrupt the gospel of jesus christ whatever Whatever we do, he's thinking, please, just don't talk about the righteousness of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talk about anything and everything else. Why? Why is that his, that his major objective? It's, it's, it's the one thing that saves us from ourselves, from hell, from death, from the grave. So, and whenever... So always be on the lookout for that. Preaching the gospel will get attacked. That has been that way since since, since Jesus physically walked on the earth. The gospel is going to be attacked from every direction, inside and outside the church. Unfortunately so. Because it is offensive. It is offensive to our natural selves. It's not, the gospel is not offensive because of who it keeps out. See, the gospel is so offensive because of who it lets in. They, they get forgiveness of sins? That rascal, that scoundrel, they get the forgiveness of sins freely on the account of Christ on his death on the cross for them? And all they have to do is receive it? I don't know about that. That's not fair. Because yeah. see, in our minds, we think that you know, we're not someone who's so awful that needs God to die for us either. I, it's, it's, it's easy. See, we, 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 or maybe I'm speaking about myself. It's the natural instinct when you see someone who's evil and wrong, you compare yourself to them. Oh, I'm not like that. You know, thank goodness I'm not like that. Hey, God, I'm not like that person who just did all that crazy stuff. And there's a verse that highlights that. The the Pharisees, the self-righteous, said, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm not like that sinner, that tax collector. And there's another one that was a sinner who said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus asked the crowd, which one went home justified? It was the one that asked for mercy. How did the false teachers corrupt the gospel in the church of Galatia? They boasted that they were from the seed of Abraham, ethnic Jews. They said that they were actual pupils of the disciples. They attacked the authority of Paul. They would say things like, we are many, but Paul is one. How would God let all of them be uh, uh, deceived, but not Paul? Some uh, The same was with Martin Luther and the church. When he, when he, when he started re- realizing the gospel in the text... That was the attack that he got from the church was, hey, Luther, you know, the church has been rocking and rolling for five, you know, for, for, you know, since since the death of Christ. And now all of a sudden you got it right? Which, I mean, if you read history, Luther was able to show, well, no, there's been others who's pointed it out. It's just, you know, we might not have recognized it for a while. But that was the uh, attack even to Paul back then. After that, the Galatians now questioned the authority of Paul and the gospel he preached. Galatians, or the, 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 the book that we know of Galatians in the Bible, Paul's epistle or letter to the Galatians is his response to all of this. Paul asserts his authority to show the false teachers are wrong about him. And the first two chapters almost only address his calling ministry and his gospel, that he did not get it from men but from Jesus Christ. And there's also a very different tone in his letter to the church in Galatia. If you, and it's a very interesting thing to kind of point out because I think, it, again, it points to the importance of the gospel. In his other letters that he wrote, like to the Corinthians, b- both the uh, 1st and 2nd Corinthians and to the other letters, he he's addressing, it's just like a little bit more kind of, you know, a uh, 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 cordial or encouraging tone. And it's dealing with rank moral failure in those letters, especially the church in Corinth. I mean, things that like, even we would be like, oh wow, <laughs> can't believe that that happened. You know, it was horrible, horrible sin that he would address. But the tone of this letter is far more harsh, and it's not because of moral failings, but because of a corrupted gospel. And Paul goes full barrels, guns ablazing to correct us. Why? Because if the gospel is at stake, everything is at stake. If you corrupt the gospel, I don't care how well you live your life, or how well you think you live your life, or how a nice person you are, if the gospel's corrupted, where's our hope? So that's why Paul comes ready to go right off the bat. The argument that Paul is making in Galatians. Paul wants to establish the doctrine, and don't freak out when I say doctrine. Doctrine is important, because if you don't like doctrine, that's a doctrine too. Paul wants to establish the doctrine of Christian righteousness. That is the righteousness of faith, of grace, of the forgiveness of sins. Why? So that we would know the difference between Christian righteousness and all other kinds of righteousness. Well, there's a difference? Yeah, there's a big difference. Righteousness is of many kinds. There's political righteousness, there's ceremonial righteousness, there's righteousness of the law which Moses teaches, the righteousness of faith or Christian righteousness, it is over and above all other kinds. It is to be distinguished from the others because they are opposites to this righteousness. How so? How are they opposites? Because they come from the other, the other types of righteousness. They come from leaders, traditions, from the commandments of God, which is important. They're important. And because they consist in our works and can be achieved by us, either by natural ability or as a gift from God. Which, funny thing is, even if it's your natural ability or a gift, it's still all given to you by God anyway. Um, the righteousness of faith, Christian righteousness, is on is a contrast to these other kinds. Because it is a righteousness that God imputes to us through Christ without works. What does impute mean? I first ran across that, I'm like, okay, I've never, never really heard that really used in popular conversation. Impute means to assign a value to something, to ascribe to someone by virtue of a similar quality in another. To assign, brand, charge, credit, pin on, hang something on. It is a passive righteousness. All the others are active. In this righteousness, we work nothing, give nothing to God, but it is all God working and giving everything to us. We simply receive. Permit someone else to work in us, namely God. It is right to call the righteousness of faith passive. It is difficult because our natural, the law is written on our hearts. So we're naturally going to look at the law in that kind of righteousness. The gospel not written on our hearts. So we've got to hear it all the time. My natural instinct is to go... And I, I, but I want, to, I want to do, and it's good to do, but not for the sake of thinking that my doing is now going to make God love me. God loved me before that. When I hated God, Christ died for me. Independent of how I look to God he looked at me with a different face. That's why it is completely opposite of the kind of righteousness that my mind goes to when I think of the kind of righteousness that I would need to do in order to make God forgive me. That's in column B. Don't let column B, like if you see like an Excel spreadsheet, don't let column B go over to column A. What is column A? The righteousness of Christ by faith to everyone who believes. If you pull anything over from column B to column A, then you've, you've messed it up. How, 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 how do we receive this kind of righteousness? A really good analogy that I've seen is like rain. The earth needs rain, right? More things to grow. The earth can't make rain happen. It can't work rain to happen. It can't do something to make rain fall. It receives the rain by a gift from above, passively falling down on it. Christian righteousness is given to us by God without us, but as a gift for us. On rightly dividing the two words of God, law and gospel. This is a different topic, so I'm, but I want to hit on it because it's important when reading the Galatians. Don't The law is over here. And it's good. It's very, very good. It's one of God's words that he says and uses over and over again in the Bible. God's other word he uses over here is the gospel. It is very, very good. Don't mix those. Don't intertwine the law and gospel keep them distinguished one easy way to do it is if it sounds like do this that's law If it sounds like it's done that's gospel that's a real quick easy way to understand what you're reading when you read the Bible if I were to teach the law in a way where people would suppose themselves to be justified before God, I would be going beyond the limit of the law, confusing these two righteousnesses, the active and the passive. See, the law can't save you. That's not its job. That's not its role. That's not what it's designed to do. The law is good, and it kills sinners. It it leads them to their death. The gospel gives life to sinners and revives them and unites them with Christ. The, old, the flesh or the old man, the law and works are all joined together. The spirit or the new man is joined to the promise of grace. If I see that someone is oppressed by the law, crushed by it, terrified by sin, wanting comfort, it is time to take the law and act of righteousness from their sight and to place before him or her through the gospel the passage of righteousness and show him or her the promise of Christ who came for the afflicted and for sinners. Okay, so that's kind of the, the, the purpose that Paul is using Galatians to show this. So now we'll finally jump in and read Galatians chapter 1, 1 through verse 5. And it's a real short passage this morning. And I skip over a lot of the beginnings of letters sometimes in the past. I want to get to the meat of something. There's so much meat in verse 1 through 5 in here. I'm I'm just confessing that sometimes I just run right over it. Kind of this morning when I said grace and peace to y'all in the name of the Father, sometimes you just run right past it and don't think about what I'm saying. So we're going to kind of dig into that this morning. Verse 1. This is Paul writing this, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. To deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 1 is the signature. See, letters back there were a little bit opposite. They, They signed their name first. So, Paul, an apostle, not from men. This is Paul going on the offensive against the false teachers immediately. Setting forth his apostolic identity and authority, and through God the Father who raised him from the dead. In his passion, Paul can't hold back from talking about the resurrection of Christ, who rose for our justification, his victory. The victory of Christ over the law, sin, our flesh, the world, the devil, death, hell, and all evils. He has given his victory to us. Verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me. This helps to stop the mouths of the false teachers. He is not alone, even if his accuser says that he is. Verse 2 is the address of the letter. Verse 3, grace to you and peace. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's greeting here is new to the world. Never in the history of the world has anyone been able to say grace and peace to you. As I said earlier, we, we take it for granted. I take it for granted. It's like, oh yeah, Christ crucified for our sins. Yawn. what's next? Let's get on to their stuff. Again, the devil's goal is working when the gospel is ignored or if we're ready to move on from it. These two words, grace and peace, embrace the whole of Christianity. Grace forgives sins and peace heals the conscience. Two devils that plague us, sin and conscience. But Christ has conquered both for us. Peace is impossible unless sin has first been forgiven. Both grace and peace are for the first time given to the world courtesy of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. Paul treats the argument of his letter in every word. He does not write... who who has received our works or sacrifices from us. Instead, he writes, who has given? Given what? Not money, not possessions, not another animal sacrifice like in the Old Testament, not an angel, but he gave himself. For what? Not for a crown, not for a kingdom, not for our holiness or righteousness, but for our sins. These words are shock and awe Barrage from heaven against every kind of righteousness. Pay close attention to these words. Pause and stay here for a while, for these words are filled with comfort. They give great encouragement to timid consciences. Then the question, what are we to do with our sins? Paul's answer, the man who is called Jesus Christ, son of God, has given himself for them. Will the team come forward, please maybe you're here wondering and thinking, okay I, I've, I've heard this I, I, I know this this is not new Maybe you're wondering why, why is it over and over again to be in this forgiveness of sins. For me, it's changed everything. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm a quote-unquote better person. See, Christ has promised that good works will come. And, and I, as soon as I take my eyes off of Christ to look at me and see if I'm doing good works, I'm not looking at Christ anymore. That's, I, whenever I do that, I'm in, I'm in a world of hurt. I need to hear the gospel all the time. I need to be reminded all the time. I need to hear it all the time, over and over and over and over again, because it sounds too good to be true. But I'm here to tell you this morning that it is. That God, creator of heaven and earth, would die to have you he did die to have you because because you deserved it no but because he loved you I don't love my boys because they deserve it I love it because they're mine I love them because they're mine How much more, how much more does God the Father love those who he created himself? Yes, sin needs to be dealt with. Yes, sin is a big deal. It is cosmic rebellion and treason against a three-time holy God. But justice was met on the cross when when God Poured out all the wrath and all the justice on his very son. Jesus consumed every last drop. There's not, there's no wrath left for your sin. It's done. It's over. It's, it's finished. It is complete. It is all sufficient in the cross of Christ. The war's over, folks. It's over. That has set me free. And even when, the next day, when I fall and, and, I, and, I, and I fail and I sin again, that too was consumed by Christ on the cross. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, all over, never stops. One-way love, grace falling down on me. Why? Because God loves me. Now see, that, that's a different kind of understanding with my relationship with God. Now I'm free to love my neighbor. There's no fear of rejection from God because he already rejected Christ on the cross for me. God treats us differently because of Jesus. He doesn't put us in the corner to get our act right. He put Christ in the corner on the cross because we couldn't. It's over. It's over, y'all. Now see, show me someone who's been set free. Show me how they now live. It'll be like this. It'll be all over the place. It'll be crazy. But you know what? One thing remains that I find hope in. When I am too weak to hold on to Christ, Christ will hold fast to me. He is faithful to me. He is faithful when I am faithless. It is does because my faith is great and big. It's not it's not the size of my faith that is the big deal. It's who my faith is in. I don't have faith in my faith. Cuz my faith is like this. I have faith in Jesus Christ. The object of my faith is Him. Even if it's little bitty mustard seed faith, it's still huge because it is attaching, it's grabbing hold of the Son of God. So in those days when I'm blowing it big time, I just feel often a lot. There's so much comfort in knowing That because of Christ, because of his righteousness being rained down on me, that when God looks at me, he sees the blood of Christ covering me forever and ever and ever and ever. Well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah, sounds like a joke. But what is being reckoned is Christ's blood, Christ's life, his work in place of mine. On the cross, he got my crown of thorns, and he gave me his crown of righteousness. Because I did something great. Because he did something great. And forever and ever and ever, I look forward to seeing him one day. I thank him now. But, but to see him and to thank him in person. I look forward to that. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe this is the first time that you're hearing good news like this. Or maybe this is not the first time that you're hearing good news like this. Maybe it's, you've heard it over and over again for something, for some reason. It's hitting home today. First of all, that's the Holy Spirit. It is his job to take the gospel and to explode life into the dead soul. If you are here this morning and you are wanting to come to Jesus to receive his forgiveness, to bet your life and eternal life all on him and his finished work for you, I invite you to come forward to tell us. And as the prayer team comes forward, we will pray with you and for you. If you want to hear specifically for you that your sins are forgiven, if you come forward, I will tell this to your face right now. That first time I had someone do that to me, again, it's, it's not the person, it's, it's, it's who on the authority of that they are telling you. When someone can, when you can tell someone, pour out someone that, you know, I've sinned, I've messed up, and that, for that person, you can say, well, by the command of and on the authority of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven all of your sins. It's, it's helped me, maybe it'll help others as well. You're invited to come. Baptism is a gift from God that he connects certain promises with. We would love to set a date for you to be able to do this. Let us know. This is a time for prayer. If he wants to pray for you about anything, we invite you to come forward for prayer. If after the service you decide that you want the forgiveness of Jesus, if later on you wish you had come forward, wherever you are, place your faith in Jesus and thank him for dying for your sins. You can call me, Pastor Derek, Pastor John, anytime to talk to us about any of this. I'm inviting everyone to come to Jesus. Revelation 22:17 17 says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You come this morning. Believe in Jesus who died for your sins. The prayer team will come.